0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, let's have a seat. We uh, want to welcome those who are joining us online today. Uh, If you're joining us uh, uh, for the first time, or if you've been joining us for a while, just let us know that on the platform that you're on, and we'd love to know you're with us. Well, we, uh, some, believe that we're starting Genesis today. We're not starting Genesis today, okay? That starts next week, okay? Next week we're going to get into Genesis, but uh, before we get into Genesis, I, I thought a great uh, set up for that would be to study uh, Psalm 19 uh, this morning. Do you guys have a, like a favorite song? Anybody have a favorite song? Anyone? You know, is, is it because of the lyrics? Is it because of the, the beats? Maybe it's a combination. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this about Psalm 19. He says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. The psalm this morning that we're going to be studying declares the greatness of our God as, reveal, as revealed in creation and as revealed through his word. And as a result of that, we'll see that there is a, there is a reaction, there is uh, something that you and I need to do as a result of our understanding of that. As we think about this world that we live in, we talked about this a little bit last weekend, um, there, there is a lot of lies that people are believing uh, and part of that is is the fact that um, we just got here somehow, right? We just we just somehow got here. We're not sure yet. It probably was aliens as to how we got here on this earth and how it was all formed. But but and, and the result of that is that everything that God says in this book, everything that God says in His Word, is being twisted. It's being turned. In our world today, we, again, this is something we touched on last Sunday, or sorry, last Saturday at family camp, but we are now taught through society, through different means, that the secret of happiness and fulfillment is the freedom to do whatever I want, whatever I think. Uh, my, I am now the authority, and if I am to find happiness in this world, if I am to find fulfillment, true joy, then I should be able to do whatever I want. And then here's, here's the, the new part, perhaps, in 2022 in our society. And society should get really excited about whatever I want to do and support and encourage me in that. And so what now is on the throne is self. I am on the throne, I I determine my own destiny, I am the creator, and scripture, the scripture we're gonna be looking at this morning, speaks directly against that. There is one who is great, and it is not me. It is him who has created us all, who has revealed himself through creation, through his word, through Jesus Christ. And what we find is that the secret of fulfillment is not self, it is worship. It is worshiping the one who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is worshiping the one who is the Redeemer, the Rock, as we're going to see this morning. And so as we get ready to get into Genesis, where we're going to take it verse by verse, thinking about in the beginning, creation, the series that we're calling Foundations. I thought this is a good week to just say, why would we do a study like that? Why would we go back to, Gen- isn't Genesis in the Old Testament? I thought we were Christians. Okay, we're going we're, we're gonna to be studying it because those foundations have been torn down by our society and we desperately need to be reminded of what is true. And so, uh, this morning, we want to get our eyes fixed on the one who is the creator. I love what Walkie had to say about knowledge, about, about wisdom, about truth. He says, without comprehensive knowledge, which only the creator of all things possesses, absolute or certain knowledge of right and wrong is not possible. Unless one knows ontologically, that, that is the study of existence, as, the, as only the creator of all things knows... In other words, wisdom, knowledge that only he has, a mortal's knowledge is at best relative and uncertain. And so you reject creator, and what you have is what it says at the end of Judges, every man does what is right in his own eyes. But we, I pray, everyone here this morning, we are the people of God. We are the ones who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And as a result, we look to him who is knowledge, to him who creation screams out is glorious. So for to understand anything, we need God. We need him to show us. And so before we get into the word this morning, let's acknowledge that. Let's pray. And then we're going to get into his word. God, we We pray this morning, God, that you would lead us and guide us. Lord, as we look at this psalm and understand your greatness, Lord, we become low as we ought to. We are humbled, Lord, when we see you in all your grandeur. Lord, we need you. God, we need your help, your grace, your mercy, your strength every day. Lord, I'm so thankful that as um, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to, to give us understanding of your greatness, to give us understanding of salvation. And so this morning, we, we pray that you would lead us and guide us by your Spirit. Lord, we, we want to see things as they are, not as we think they are. We want to see them as you see them. And so God, would you lead this preacher? Would you help us, Lord, to, to bring honor and glory through this time in your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and just slip up your hand. Maybe you forgot it on the way out this morning. Uh, maybe you don't have one, but everyone needs to have the word of God in their hands so that when, what we, we, so that as we study this morning, we understand that what we're learning about is from the scriptures. And as I say very very often, I have nothing for you. Right? Who cares what Trevor Peacock thinks? Not me. Right? If I don't care, you certainly should not either, all right? So, what does the scripture have for us this morning? Let's look together at Psalm 19 and we read to the choir master, a psalm of David, King David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and there are words to the end of the world. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward." it's kind of like an eye examination, right? You, how many how many people have been to an eye examination and realized you weren't seeing things as you thought, All right? I, I remember the first time when I realized that maybe I needed uh, some glasses at going to the doctor and uh, to the eye doctor and realizing that that what I thought was on the line was not on the line, right? And they're like, oh, how about now? Like, oh, now I see it, right? Psalm 19 is like that. And as we look this morning, I I pray that we would see things as they really are, not as we, in our personal wisdom, would think they are. So first, let us look up. Look up and declare God's glory. Look up and declare God's glory as we look at these first six verses, we see that God's glory is on display everywhere and on a daily basis. First, we see the heavens and sky declaring God's glory. And then we're going to see the sun focused on particularly. He says in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When he's talking about the heavens here, he's talking about what we would think of as space. Uh, of, of, the, of the galaxies out there. It, it is where the stars are, the moon, the sun, the planets. And all of them, they declare the glory of God. And the verb here is such that it's, it was declared in the past, it is declared right now, and it will be declared into the future right until the time when Christ will return. Since the beginning of creation, the heavens have been declaring the splendor and majesty of God. And the skies also proclaim his handiwork. Probably a better word that most of us wouldn't even understand what it means, permanent, is a better word here. It is, we're going to get into in a couple of weeks here, Genesis 1, 6, and 7, it says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters." And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. A firmament is, is like a dome, and so it's like our skies. And, and now with our technologies, we've been able to kind of draw back and look back on earth. We see that there is like a, a dome. It, this is, we are a cloud in our, our skies. And as we look up at those things, they also proclaim God's handiwork, Summer's a great time uh, to to look up at the skies, right? Almost on like a daily basis. Anytime it gets warm here, right? You look to the west and you see those clouds forming. And and now with with the cameras that we have, there's so many people that get into this, like watching the, the storms form. And like everything that we look at is incredible. If we would just stop and look at it. sometimes, you know, the, the, the idea of, of what we've seen yesterday maybe is, doesn't is get us excited today, but it ought to. And God's creation is incredible. Every time that we, we look up and see what's there, it, it should uh, call us to worship Him, for it is declaring His majesty, His splendor, the work of His hands. Verse two says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, this is a 24-7 proclamation. It is continual, it is constant. And every time we see it, it should amaze us. If you just seen it once, it should amaze you, right? Like if you were born under the earth somehow and you came up and you seen what is there, you would be like, wow, who created that, right? But we, it, that, that, that proclamation is going on day to day and night to night. Where that word for pours out, it, it has the idea of uncontrollable or uncontrolled gushing forth of words. Like that of a swollen waters of a gushing wadi. It is proclamation of God's glory. It's extravagant. It's powerful. It's inescapable. That's the idea here. And creation is doing that. The heavens... And the skies are doing that. In other words, there is no excuse for missing it, right? Oh, I, I, I slept through that, right? I, I missed that day. No, it's like if you're on this earth at any moment and you're not in your building and you're outside, it is declaring God's majesty. It is declaring his glory. And it says, night to night reveals knowledge, Walkie well, he says here, knowledge signifies the fact or condition of knowing something, of understanding, of having information. God's apparent vast knowledge as seen in his masterpiece garners him glory. Unlike human knowledge that must be learned or required, God's knowledge is inherent in his being. You guys ever go on to like NASA's site and like just look at some of the pictures, like all these. Telescopes, and I'm not a science person, so if I'm saying this all wrong quick, whatever. But the pictures, you know, have you seen the pictures? They send these things out into outer space and they take pictures and they keep sending them these images back. And and what does it do? It just magnifies God's glory as they discover things more and more and more things that we have, that mankind is just seeing now. And, And you're just like, how incredible is this? And what should be happening at NASA on a daily basis is falling down in worship if the one who made it, who created it, it declares his glory day after day after day, and it will continue to do so until the day of the Lord. David continues, verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. David points out the uniqueness of their witness. Witness, They testify to God's glory without using literal speech or words or voice. Yet their witness goes throughout all the earth. Walkie says this, though the heavens are seen with the eye like a portrait, they speak the language of sight to the ear of reason and of the heart to generate the worship of God. They're speaking to us on a daily basis without using words, right? Like the clouds aren't saying, hey, hey, look who made me, right? Isn't he amazing? But by just being there, they're declaring who God is and how great he is. And there is nowhere on this earth where that isn't the case. This is what he's saying here. You could go to the ends of the earth and you would see God's glory. If you had an opportunity to travel, you would you would you would say, Yeah. Like it doesn't matter where you go. And in fact, as you go to different places of the world, all it does is heap up praise and glory to him because no matter where you're at, you you, you get a different perspective on his grandeur. If you've been in like a place like uh, Zimbabwe at night. And you look up at the skies and you see the Milky Way. You see the Southern Cross. It is incredible. Again, it's just like, what an amazing God. Up north here, we got, you know, we got the Big Dipper and all that, right? And, 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 And if you've been to Saskatchewan, right? What's Saskatchewan got going for it? The sky, right? You can see the sky forever. You can see it's amazing, right? Everywhere you go. It declares the glory of God. This is what David is saying here. So there is no escape of its witness. Every single person on this earth ought to be bowing down every time they look at God's creation, but they don't. What does it tell us in Romans 1, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. His eternal power, divine nature are evident through creation ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So what? So that men and women are without excuse. God is real. It is being declared every day. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And we're seeing this on display in our country The the, the proclamation from the skies, from the heavens is still going on today saying there is a God in our country, all culture is turned their backs on the creator because we have science. We believe that we know better than God now. All we're doing is observing what he has done but somehow we think that makes him mute. We will never end in growing of our understanding of what is out there. There's so much to learn still. There's so much that mankind does not know about what, the way the world works. And yet, we have turned our back on the one who created everything and now worship self. In other countries of the world, they'll, they'll worship other things. But the number one thing that Canadians worship is self. Worship money, gold. We've turned our backs on him who created it all, and it ought not to be that way. David is proclaiming, look, look at our God. Look at him in his glory and his grandeur. He says, Let's look at the sun. Just look at the sun. In them, the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun. I love the poetic language here, right? Like, where did the sun go? It's in the tent, right? In other words, he's saying there's a time where it's covered. It's put away in the heavens. But then what happens? Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Every morning, the sun comes up in the east. It rises up in the east. Again, we're getting to that season no matter how much of a late, well, maybe some of you can still sleep through sunrises, but, um, well, this last summer, I guess you, you, you know what I'm trying to say here, right? <laughs> if, if you are a late riser, you can start seeing the sunrises, is what I'm trying to say. And is this it's just beautiful, isn't it? And in a poetic language he's saying here, it's like this, it's like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. It, it, it's done so with joy. This this picture here, this analogy of the bridegroom coming out of his chamber could refer to two things. This could either be referring to the time when the groom would leave his home to go and collect his bride on their wedding day, or the chamber may refer to the place where the marriage would have been consummated. And it's probably likely this last one. And, and so the picture is of the bridegroom coming from, from his home with, with great joy after, after his evening with his bride and ready for a new day. Ready for a new day. I just did a wedding this week. I can imagine that's the way Jordan was as he came out of his hotel room. He's with great joy. I'm, married, I'm a married man, right? And, 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 and the picture here is, is that picture of of exuberance, of strength. And every day, the sun comes up and runs its course. There is no failing in it. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Day after day, from east to west. And it says here, and nothing is hidden from its heat. At least some heat in the winter, like a little bit, right? Still warms the earth up a little bit, even here in the winter. Lawson says this, God is like the noonday sun, bright and blinding in the radiance of its glory. He is high and and exalted above man, unceasing and tireless in his work, powerful in all that he does, reaching to the ends of the earth, enlightening and empowering all people." In every place, at all times, creation is proclaiming the glory of God, that his knowledge is vast. Who is he who has created all these things? Who would have the wisdom to do it all, to to, to sustain this creation? It is God and God alone. We think about the sun. Have you ever tried to just look at the sun? How long does that last, right? Right? You have to look away quickly because of, it, of, the, of, of, of the brightness of the sun. Now think about the one who made the sun in his glory, and that will be our, our approach as we come before him, and his radiance, his glory will be on our faces before him because of his grandeur, because of his greatness. He is awesome, and creation declares it is true. So look up and declare God's glory. Secondly, we see this, look down in delight in God's glory. Look down into the word of God and declare and delight in God's glory. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. As we think about the law of the Lord, he's using the word Torah here. And if we have more time to, to study, what we'd understand is that it's not just the Ten Commandments is not just the Pentateuch, but it's it's all of God's revealed word. And much later, after David, two thousand years after Christ, we have the Old and New Testament, the complete revelation of our God in our hands here this morning, and it is perfect. As amazing as creation is, it's not perfect, is it? It's under the curse. It's it's being condemned. It's 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 falling apart. Even that that declares the Lord's glory is not perfect. But the law of the Lord, this it's perfect. It's perfect. Reviving the soul. Spurgeon reflecting on the word says this: It is a crime to add to it. It's treason to alter it, and a felony to take from it. It is perfect. Perfection is perfection. What does this word do? It revives the soul. Lawson says this, it is so perfect that it can convert, transform, and refresh the entire person. Maybe after a summer of not being in this, you need to be refreshed. Refreshed. You need to be revived. Let's remember the source of our refreshment, the source of our revival. I pray that everyone here this morning can say that I have been revived. My soul has been transformed first and foremost because this word pointed me to Jesus Christ, the one who is the living word, the one who that w- became flesh, who, who took my sins, your sins, upon himself for our salvation. The word brings revival to the soul. From death to life, transforming the new man and refreshing you as you read, it checking your thoughts, showing your sin, pointing you to the one who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, your Redeemer, your Rock says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He who created the heavens and the skies, this is what David is showing us, he who created it all, he who has all knowledge, who, who stands apart from all of creation, he has given us a book. He has revealed himself to us and he's showing us how we ought to live our lives. Real wisdom comes through his word. It's only in his light that we might see the light. Calvin says this, from nature we know only the hands and feet of God. From from scripture we know his very heart. In the first six verses, David has used this generic term for God just to, to kind of show us that what, where David is, is, is transitioning. He uses this word L for God, which was a generic term. That, that If you were a pagan, you would still use the word L. And now as he's turned to verse 7, he uses the word Yahweh, which is the covenant-keeping God, the, the God who is close to his people, the God who reveals his heart, He has given us his word, and it is perfect, and it revives the soul. This this list, like if you're not pumped up about the word of God by the time we're finished these few verses here from 7 through 10, uh, you're probably not saved, okay? Like, I'm kind of tired, Pastor. It's a long weekend. We stayed up late last night, okay? Like, suck it up. Ask the Spirit to help you, okay? Okay? And 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 let's get excited about what's here because it's incredible. First of all, what was what does it say about the word? It is what? Perfect. It's perfect. Second thing here is this the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We understand that, that that what we are reading here was written down by David, but it is not David's words ultimately. It is the testimony of the Lord. Everything that we have from Genesis through Revelation is from him, and everything that he says is sure. And the idea here, the slant that he's giving about the word here is, is words of warning. The judgment is coming, and that these warning signs can be trusted. It can be trusted. Sometimes, like, when you're on the road and there's a warning sign, you're like, why did they put that there? Right? You didn't really have to slow down that much, or you—maybe you know, that's just me. Okay, um, but 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 the warning signs sometimes on this earth are kind of like, okay, well, that's not really particularly helpful. What he's saying here is that the warning signs of the Lord are sure; they can be trusted every time. And one of the things that we find is we think about this idea of judgment—that there is judgment coming. That those who walk apart from the word of the Lord, those who would be apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be judged for eternity. This is not like a let's negotiate kind of thing. It is sure. And so let the wise, sorry, let the simple be made wise as they trust in this reliable and dependable word from the Lord. The idea of the simple person, Golden Gate says this, the simple person is the open person, one whose mind is not yet occupied by insight and is therefore in a vulnerable and dangerous position. Yahweh's declaration concerning what is true and what Yahweh expects gives shape to their mind. It protects them and other people. It makes them reliable instead of unprincipled and immature. We, we need help is the idea here. We are simple people without the word of the Lord. Where would we go? We don't know. But when we look to the Lord, when we look to his word, then we are given wisdom. Maybe you would be reminded of that this morning. We, when we don't know where we should go and what we should do on a daily basis, how many times do we feel like that? Lord, where should I go? It's found in his word. He continues on. He says the, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The idea of precepts here are, are, are directions or orders. It gives us the right course for life. In all circumstances of life, God's word is a guide to show us the right way, the way that would please the Lord, the way that would bring glory to the Lord, the way that is good, that his precepts reflect his character. The man or woman who worships the Lord and longs to serve the Lord takes great joy in knowing the will of the Lord. I believe that's the heart of all of you here this morning who are in Christ. You you want to do the will of the Lord. You want to be faithful to, to him, to follow his ways. How do I know what is the way of the Lord? It is found in his word. Golden Gate says this, uh, the, 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 there's a joy in knowing what, God, what God's will is and in therefore being able to do it and stay in the place of God's blessing. Instead of following my heart and doing what self wants, the Bible teaches that if I'm to really have joy, if I'm going to be rejoicing in my heart, it is to follow God's ways, it is to follow His will. When we're younger, we we particularly want to know God's will for our lives. And Gabriella, my, my youngest, now she's graduated from high school and now she's like, she's on a course, right? And there's lots of questions that you're asking, like what what should I do for, for work in my life? Who should I marry? Where should I live? These are the questions we have, and we ultimately want to know like what what's the Lord's will in that? But I think sometimes we, we just want the answer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, just give me the answer. I, I don't want to do all the work to get to the answer. It's like a calculus exam, right? Or like, show your work. I think the answer is 10. I don't know why. I just think that's the answer, right? I don't want to show my work. But But life is like that calculus exam. You need to show the work. If I want to know who I should marry, if I want to know where I should be working, if I want to know where I should live, then I need to daily be seeking the Lord and understanding his precepts. As I understand and grow in my knowledge of him, as I delight myself in him, then the Lord will make clear who I should marry, where I should work, where I should live. And what we ultimately see as we do that is like, I don't really care about all these things because ultimately I just want to bring glory and honor to God through all of this it's not about my kingdom coming, it's about his willing being done. So, the precepts of the Lord, they are right. Follow him. The cam- commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. He's given a similar analog- analogy here. The, the, the commandment of the Lord, it, it's pure. It, it can be translated, the commandment of the Lord is Radiant. It brings light to our darkened understanding, to our darkened eyes. It, it enlightens the eyes. It, it, it shows us the way that we ought to go. Instead of kind of grasping about in the darkness, the, the word of the Lord directs us. The word of the Lord is pure. In other words, it's altogether good. It is, there is no sin. There is no imperfection in it. It's holy, it's pure. And as we submit ourselves to it, it enlightens our eyes. It helps us to become more and more like the one that we worship. Psalm one nineteen one hundred five 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Fifthly, we see about the word of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. We see here a bit of a shift. It's talking about the impact on a life, as you read the word, as you understand the word, what it brings about is the fear of the Lord. It, it brings about a, a change in us. Spurgeon says this The doctrine of truth is here described by its spiritual effect. Inward piety or the fear of the Lord, this is clean in itself and cleanses out the love of sin, sanctifying the heart in which it reigns. The impact of this word is eternal, eternal. As you, as you come under the word of the Lord on a daily basis, it is changing you, and that impact will be for all of eternity. The, the word will, will be around forever. There is no end to it. Nation after nation have tried to destroy the word of God, but it will never happen. It is eternal. The rules of the Lord, lastly, he says this, are true and righteous altogether. In other words, again, they are reliable. Uh, Society, they're continually changing that which is true. God's word never changes. The, The term for rules here is a judicial term which describes the judgment that a judge would give in a particular case. God has given us rules to live by, which are true. In other words, his verdicts will never be overturned. There is no corruption with our God. His rules are reliable. These rules are righteous altogether. If we desire to live righteous lives, we must live by the rules of Yahweh. An incredible Gift God has given us in His Word. David describes the worth in verse 10 More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. All right, here's a choice. There's a big heap of gold right here. It's not just any kind of gold, it's fine gold. And over here, you have the word of God. What will you choose? And David's saying, I know what I'm choosing. I'm choosing the word of the Lord. I desire that much more than that, for that is passing away. That will never ultimately help me, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord will will give me life and hope. And then he says... Or sorry, in Psalm 118, verse 72, he says this, The law of your mouth is perfect, or sorry, is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Is the word of the Lord that precious to you this morning? Like, like, do you love it more than anything else? Do you desire the word of God more than anything else that this earth can give you? David then compares it to honey. He says, "Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Not just honey, but honey from the honeycomb. As much as honey might be might satisfy physical hunger and bring pleasure, its impact is also fleeting. The word of the God, word of God alone satisfies your spiritual hunger. The word of God should be sought after before any earthly delicacy that is brought our way." May be, maybe today you would want to say it better than filet mignon or whatever, all right? I don't know what your thing is, right? But, but, but what he's saying here is better than anything, it will, satisfy, it will satisfy the better than any food on this earth, your spiritual hunger. Walkie says this, people who trust God in his covenant find the law ranks higher than all earthly values and pleasures. Higher than Anything. It is to be desired more than anything else on this earth, the word of the Lord. Does it have that place in your life? On a daily basis, do you you hunger for it? Do you thirst for it? Do you desire the word of God? I need to know it. I want to know it. For in this book, it reveals to me my great God. It shows to me who he is and, and what he's done for me. Just review what it, what it says here. It's perfect, this word. It's, sh- it's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. It's righteous altogether. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. Why would we ever stay away from this book? Well, sin. Sin. Sin is the only thing that would keep you away. From this book so we must repent of our sin and we must ask God to change our desires this brings us to our last point look in and desire God's glory look in and desire God's glory how should we respond to the great creator how should we respond to the one who's revealed himself through his perfect word well with humility We should respond with humility. First, we should recognize that we are servants of the Most High God. This is what he does in verse 11. Moreover, by them, that's the word of the Lord, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The the testimony of the word of the Lord, it it, it warns us of of ways that we should not go, and, and, and it promises great reward for all those who would, who would walk in its ways. Not, not financial rewards, not, not health rewards, as someone might, might try to teach you, but, but spiritual rewards. The joy of knowing God, the, the joy of being at peace with him. Every day we have the incredible privilege of looking to the Lord's word. When David wrote this psalm, there was still a whole lot more of the Bible yet to be written if David was astounded by the word of the Lord, then how much more so should we be astounded by it now? Like how much more has been revealed to us since the days of David? We have the Gospels which teach us about, about Jesus Christ and all he has done. As we think about this world that we live in, I think you and I, at times, can unwisely think that this world has something to offer us when it comes to our daily living? When When it comes to knowing what we should do. How many times do we turn to the world for wisdom with our problems how many times do we, we try to try to solve our problems, our, 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 our things, our trials that we go through each day with wisdom from this world? Can I just remind us that it is the word of the Lord. It is the one who has created us who has the answers. Like, well, you know, sometimes the world has some, some stuff that can help us. How are you going to know whether the world has stuff that is helpful to you? How will you you determine whether what the world is saying is true? Will you not go to the word of the Lord to ask and to seek whether what they're saying is true is true? Then why don't you stop taking the long way around and just go straight to the source? This is the source of life. This is where we would find wisdom. This is where, where our hungers are satisfied. This is, what, this is where we, 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 we become small before him and he satisfies our deepest longings as we worship him. John Piper says this, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to improve self-esteem. There is greater healing for the soul in beholding the splendor than there is in beholding self. We want his glory. Not our kingdom come, not our will be done. We want to know his glory. We want to worship him for who he is. And so let us turn to his word. Let us understand that by seeking him there is great reward. Not like the world would offer. Again, as I began the service this morning, the world would tell you that as long as you get everything you want, as long as the whole world supports you in what you want, you will find fulfillment. You will find happiness. And that is a lie. And what David is saying was when you see the grandeur of God in creation, when you know who he is through his word, then you understand that it, there is, that it is only by walking according to this word and by worshiping him that we would find our fulfillment. He says this as we, as he continues, he says, who can discern his errors? See, the other thing that happens as you look at the grandeur of God and you look at him through creation and through his word is that you understand that he is great and you are not. You understand that he is holy and pure and that you are a sinner. And David, his reaction to, to this gazing at the Lord is to say, who can discern his errors? And what he's saying here is, I, I, I am way more of a sinner than I even realize. I, I know that, that there's, there's sin in my life that, that I haven't even, uh, even noticed. Baldwin says here, that verse 12 says, it recognizes that a fault may be hidden, not because it is small to see, but because it is too characteristic to register. Like when we first come to Christ, we like, okay, there's those two sins I really need to get a hold of, and then I'm going to be in a really good place. But then as, as the light of God's word shines on your life, you're like, oh, Man, I got this in my life too, and I had this in my life too, and 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 you realize, man, there there are so many sins in my life. Like that, there's not just big sins. There's little sins. There's there's sins that 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 even my thoughts oftentimes are 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 steered towards things that they ought not to. That, that that my focus is on self rather than on the Savior. Spurgeon commenting on this passage, he says this ours might make a library if we had enough grace to be convinced of our mistakes and to confess them. <laughs> you see what he's saying? Like, like, if I had the grace to sit and begin to write out my sins, it would conti- I, it could, those sins would contain an entire library. Adam says this who can tell how he often he offends? No man. The hairs of a man's head may be told, the stars appear in multitudes, yet some have undertaken to reckon them, but no arithmetic can number your sins. Before we recount a thousand, we shall commit 10,000 more, and so rather multiply by addition than divide by subtraction. There is no possibility of numeration. We are great sinners before him. When we really see him for who he is, the result is like, who can discern his errors? And he understands that if it's not for the grace of God, there is no hope for forgiveness. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He falls before the Lord and says, God, you, you have to forgive. Only you can do that. Now David turns his attention to another kind of sin. He says this, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Presumptuous sins are willful sins. I know your word says this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Presumptuous sins. I know I shouldn't be yelling and screaming and whatever at that person who just cut me off, but I just need to do it right now you think you know better than God and you walk in your sin rather than walking in his ways. Presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins that, that at best case, the Lord brings conviction to your heart quickly and you repent of and you turn to him and ask for forgiveness, but not always does that happen. He says here, let them not have dominion over me what happens to to many who walk in presumptuous sins is that they become enslaved, they become ensnared in that sin in their lives. The the redemption that Christ has brought in their life by freeing them from their sin, they, they put those chains back on them, even as believers. And David's saying, Lord, help me. Help me. He's understanding that it in himself, he will not go, it will not go well. He says, keep me back from these things, Lord. Of course, we know David's life. We don't know when he wrote this, whether it was before Bathsheba or after. Thankfully, in his life, that, that with Bathsheba and Uriah was a one-time thing, but he paid for that for the rest of his life. So we look at the rest of his life. John Owen says this, do you mortify? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. This should be the heart of a believer. It should be like David saying, God help me. Keep me back from these things. Help me Lord. And he says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I'll likely hear this this idea of the great transgression would be walking in continual rebellion against God. And if it's not by the grace of God, none of us would ever be saved. And he's saying, Lord, help me. And then lastly, as we are out of time, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, this is my heart you who are glorious, you who are great, God, this is what I want. I want my inside and my outside to declare your goodness. Let the meditation of my heart be what it ought to be. Let the words of my mouth be what they ought to be. And then he he reminds us one more time, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. How is it that my words and my actions might be what they ought to be? It is only by clinging to him who is the rock, who is our redeemer. He who bought us out of our slavery of sin, it is only through him that we might walk in his ways. I love what Moyer says here. The creation is silent, but we must not be. The creation is silent, but we must not be. How is such a life of obedience to be sustained only by resorting to the Lord himself in, in he who was the rock, which is with strength and reliability and in his graciousness as the redeemer. Redemption, this morning, look. Look. Look up and declare God's glory. I pray this week you can't help but praise God every time you look up. Every time you see the skies, you're just like, he is awesome and he deserves my praise. I I pray that as you get back into routine, and I'm trusting that, what I'm saying is true. I know it's true of myself. That, that maybe our routine of being in God's word has not been as it ought to be. I'm praying that we would hunger and thirst for this word like never before. That we would desire it more than ever before as we enter the fall. And then lastly, look in and desire God's glory. God, what we want more than anything else is to reflect your glory to the world. But Lord, we're sinners and we need your help, so God help us. Amen, amen, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, so full, so rich, so much here, God. So much more could be said. God, would you take the words that we've heard this morning, and Lord, would you change us? Would you make us more like you? God, we thank you that you are our creator. Your ways are amazing. David doesn't get into all, everything else that you've created. Lord, it is, everything you've done is, is, is incredible. It reminds us that, Lord, you alone are worthy of praise. You alone have knowledge. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to, you, to us through your word. Thank you for showing us that we are sinners in need of a savior. Thank you, Lord, for showing us Jesus Christ. Lord, I would pray everyone here this morning would know him. Lord, if there is anyone here today who is lost in their sin and and walking in rebellion against Him, God, would you be gracious and merciful and save them from their sin even today? And then, Lord, for those of us who are in you, God, Lord, help us. Help us to walk in purity. Help us to walk in your ways. Keep us back from presumptuous sins. Lord, free us from sins that would enslave us. Lord, help us, Lord, to walk in a way that would bring glory and honor to you. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.